This is Dan Wilson Uncancelled. Let's go. And this is where the world's top commentators speak out on controversial issues without the fear of the cancel culture sweeping the rest of the media. Wokeism is running rampant on university campuses as free speech is willingly sacrificed to protect people's feelings. We were all convinced that it was a virus that only infected our snowflake students, right, to begin with. But now, this pandemic of the mind spreading across the globe faster than COVID-19, and I think we need to take it seriously. That's also the view of evolutionary psychologist Professor Gad Saad, whose book, The Parasitic Mind, How Infectious Ideas Are Killing Common Sense, rails against the so-called social justice warriors of the world. In the book, our Professor Saad discusses what he calls wokeism's parasitic idea pathogens, like militant feminism, identity politics, diversity, equity and inclusion. Professor Saad was born into a Jewish family in Lebanon, but they fled the Civil War to Canada in 1975. He says his experiences as a child are a big reason why he can't stay silent about this cultural phenomenon that's threatening the West's freedom of speech. And I'm delighted to say uh, Professor uh, Saad joins me now. Professor, great to have you here. So we thought to begin with, didn't we? Oh, this will just stay in universities. We don't need to worry. But now it's in our health system. It's in our government. It's in our shops. It's in our corporations. It really has spread like a virus. Well, thank you for having me. And first, I should say that uh, I'm upset at Calvin because he's borrowed two elements of my sartorial look. Number one, <laughs> both eyes. Number two, suits. So he owes me royalties. In any case, uh, I, do, I do agree that... Uh, Many people have the reflex to think, you know, why are you worrying about all of these woke ideas? They're just restricted to some esoteric department in the humanities. That's typically the reaction that I would get for the 25 plus years that I've been warning people. And as you correctly pointed out, uh, these parasites, these parasitic ideas, just like the COVID virus, as far as we know, broke out of a lab, the bad ideas start off in some esoteric department, but then they become our prime minister, Justin Trudeau. He is a walking manifestation of every idea pathogen that I cover in the book. So yes, it starts off within the rarefied world of the ivory tower, but eventually it goes into every nook and cranny of, of society. And you've also uh, linked your ideas to what happened yesterday professor at the Oscars, uh, you say, think of the millions of people who every day go to work with dignity and grace from the garbage man to the surgeon, to the teacher, to the cop, to the retail clerk. Now think about the Hollywood parasites, self-absorbed, narcissistic, entitled, shallow pigs. I, I was trying to be diplomatic Bad. and... <laughs> uh, that's exactly what they are. I can't stand how narcissistic they are. I can't stand how entitled they are. I've actually, I wrote an article more than 10 years ago in Psychology Today where, uh, that was titled The Narcissism and Grandiosity of Celebrities. And one of the arguments that I use to explain why they are the way that they are is I analogize it to survival guilt. You know, when, you, when a plane crashes and someone survives and another person dies, you're, 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 you're shackled by the guilt of why did I survive whereas someone else didn't. Well, I, I argue that Hollywood types suffer from existential guilt. They know in the deep recesses of their mind that they are frauds, that they are not worthy of all the adulation. I mean, you shouldn't be treated as 
as though you are curing cancer simply because you pretend to be someone who cures cancer. Cancer. And so the way that they resolve that existential guilt is that they pretend that they are solving world hunger and they are solving climate change, because then that allows them to argue, I am worthy of all this adulation. It's grotesque. I can't stand them. And we should be honoring our nurses and our bus drivers more, when we, more than we do these buffoons. Now, you also write that a lot of this comes down to attempts to shut down free speech largely to try and protect people's feelings. That, you think, is a slippery slope that becomes an abyss of infinite lunacy. So how do we stand up for free speech when you know how cancel culture is just out there in every part of society now? Look, uh, I, I'm not asking people to be reckless martyrs. I understand that each person has to calculate the, the, the trade-offs, the pros and cons of what they can say given their own unique realities. But the best way to analogize this is uh, when the young men landed in, on the Normandy beaches, they weren't guaranteed safe passage from the Germans. Most of them knew that they were going to be mowed down like little mosquitoes, and yet they signed up and said, I'm willing to do it. Well, I understand that speaking out might get you fired or might get you canceled from the cool kids parties. We all have a cost to bear. So you can modulate how much cost you're willing to tolerate. But what you can't do is simply say, I'm not willing to tolerate any risk in my life. I'm not willing to challenge my friends on Facebook because they'll unfriend me or they won't think I'm cool or they won't invite me to the next party. So we can each decide how much uh, you know, uh, contribution to the battle of ideas we're willing to uh, partake in. But what we certainly can't do is diffuse all of the responsibility on a few courageous others. So that's why I tell people, activate your inner honey badger. And the reason why I use the honey badger as the model is because the honey badger is the size of a small dog, and yet it is so fierce and ferocious that it could withstand an attack of six adult lions. You can go on YouTube and see some of those clips. And so I ask people, I implore people to exhibit that kind of ideological courage. If you have a set of positions that you can defend and articulate properly on first principles, then find your spine, grow a pair, and speak out. Otherwise, you wake up one day and say, hey, where have all my freedoms gone? And believe me, as someone who escaped the Middle East, that, that realization can come to you from one day to the next. So speak out, stop being a coward. Fessy, you're a great man, great advice. That was the evolutionary behavioral scientist and the author of the brilliant book, The Parasitic Mind, How Infectious Ideas Are Killing Common Sense, Professor Gad Saad. What the Farage time now and breaking tonight. Over 4,500 migrants have already crossed the English Channel to Britain in small boats this year, bombshell figures have revealed. Despite poor weather conditions, more than 1,000 of those migrants were intercepted in the past two days. The Minister for Justice and Tackling Illegal Migration, Tom Persglove, described the, described the rise in dangerous channel crossings as unacceptable. Well, no sugar, Sherlock, as they say. And Nigel joins me now. Nigel, are we in danger of ignoring security at home amid the humanitarian crisis on the continent? Yeah, I mean, Dan, you know, I've, I've been calling this now for a couple of years. Um, as you well know, I went out into the channel, uh, you know, in May 2020, uh, and I gave some very dire warnings. 
You know, I predicted that 2021 would be minimum 20,000. I upped that by March to 30,000. In the end, the final figure, the adjusted figure, was getting on for 30,000. Um, we are looking now at something way, way bigger than that. We're looking now at the possibility of 60 to 100,000 people coming this year. They will be 90% young men, undocumented young males, uh, at an increasing massive cost. The last estimate was it's costing 1.7 billion a year to look after this problem. I suspect that's the tip of the iceberg, and there is no prospect of any change whatsoever. And Tom Perslove can call it unacceptable. Well, that's rather like Basil Fawlty, you know, agreeing with the diner that the waiter's no blooming good. It doesn't actually <laughs> solve anything. Um, and, and I, sorry, I mean, I shouldn't really laugh because the whole thing's so no. serious. No, I know. Um, and it's also a national security risk mm -hmm. because there'd be wars in the Middle East. We've no idea who some of these young men uh, you know, what they've been doing. Have they fought for ISIS? We literally have no idea. And let me tell you, even if Boris Johnson at the moment is appearing to be a lucky general in the sense that Ukraine has overtaken uh, the whole Partygate scandal and, yeah, OK, 20 fixed penalties given out today and we'll see what's to come. But believe you me, when I've been out with GB News on Farage at Large, going out round the red wall seats, the anger what is going on here is quite extraordinary. And people are saying, look, the council house waiting list is well over a million. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, young people just aren't being given a fair shot. And uh, this isn't going to go away. I mean, I, I predict by June or July, this will be the number one domestic issue in British politics. Isn't that the biggest frustration, though, Nigel? It feels like the government only truly cares about this issue when it's at the top of the news agenda. Well, you know, the, the government make comments and say things when it's at the top of the news agenda. And Boris Johnson says, oh, it's, oh, oh yes, oh, yes, of course, we're going to sort it all out. I mean, this is the same Boris Johnson, by the way, who was mayor of London, proposed amnesties for all people who'd come to Britain illegally. I think in her heart, Pretty Patel would like to do something about this, but she is rendered impotent by the Human Rights Act, by the incorporation of the European uh, Convention on Human Rights into UK law. There's nothing she can do. Nobody ever gets deported anymore. There are some in our judiciary that tell us we shouldn't even call them illegals. We shouldn't even use the word illegal. Oh, and Dan, if you dare to suggest that it's an invasion, well, my goodness gracious me, you'll be in the most terrible trouble then. But what else can you call it? And believe you me, many people living on the Kent coast and in East Sussex too, are concerned and scared by what is going on. And, you know, we hear, oh, the RAF have been called in, the Royal Navy have been called in, the Army have been called in, and we've got the lifeboats and we've got border force. All we're doing is acting as a taxi service for illegal criminal gangs who are making millions and millions of euros every single week through this trade. And every one of these people on that boat knows that once they get to the UK, they will be allowed to stay, given accommodation, given dental care, given health care. Uh, and, and frankly, frankly, uh, this, this is the kind of issue that could cost the Conservatives the next election. And Boris needs to wake up PDQ.
I know, but what's so frustrating is it's been two years and they still haven't woken up. That's what I just cannot get my head around. And, and Nigel, the, the, the increase in numbers, I mean, if we were talking scientifically, you'd, they would say this is an exponential increase. Now, presumably that's because the people smuggling gangs are getting slicker. They realize what a big business this is. And they're coming up with crafts that are able to better deal with the cold weather. Yeah, I mean, it's remarkable that so many have come in the month of March. I mean, the sea temperature, I know. the sea temperature, you know, is down. It's around about 10 degrees C. I mean, if you go into water like that, you ain't lasting yeah. very long. Yeah. Uh, so it's much more tempting to come in September uh, when, you know, it's going to be 17 or 18 degrees. And if anything went wrong, you've got actually a fighting chance of, of surviving for an hour or two. Um, uh, look, you know, if it's 3,000 in the month of March, uh, it's not difficult to see. It'll be ten or fifteen thousand in the months from June onwards. That is what it's going to be if we get prolonged weather, and there's nothing being done to stop this. Nothing whatsoever. And even if the French do turn a few boats around, well, they just come back the next day. Um, it's like there's a great big sign on the White Cliffs of Dover saying everybody is welcome. And what a contrast! What a contrast this is to women and children fleeing the war in Ukraine. You know, people genuinely fleeing in fear of their lives. We know who they are. They've got passports. They've got documentation. We can check them uh, with Interpol registers and all the rest of it. Uh, and I, I think the British people are very fair, very decent in how they approach all of these things. And what's happening in the channel is regarded by a majority as being an outrage. There are some who insist uh, that this is racism of a kind. Uh, this, this country has no history of that. We are open and generous, but you know we do not want to be ridden over roughshod. And as I repeat the point, we have no idea who any of these young men are. 90% young, undocumented males, and they pose a security threat to our nation. Actually, are you surprised by the way the Tory party are at war over this issue? There's very limited unity. I was watching your interview the other night with David Davis, who is, of course, very much against the concept of offshore processing, for example. Well, I'm surprised that there's actually not more anger on the back benches. I'm also surprised, just sort of shifting tack for a moment, Dan, I'm also surprised that Labour are incapable of making more of, of, of this. I mean, they've, they've now become the party that's pro-business. They've now become the party that's low tax. I mean, I mean Labour are sounding quite attractive in some ways. I mean, they probably don't mean it. Um, but it's the inability of the globalist Labour Party, because there are so many in that party who think it should be a world without borders, where we could all move freely everywhere. Uh, but Starmer, Starmer has shown himself to be adaptable. Uh, and if he was to pick up on this issue, let me tell you, the red wall would go. So this is a big warning shot to Boris Johnson. I know, Boris, that your friends that you have dinner with in Number 10 and Notting Hill and rural Oxfordshire aren't concerned in the least about this, but your voters most certainly are. Although, Nigel, there's an issue, isn't there, when you've got a Labour Party leader and a Labour Party deputy leader who are unable to say whether a woman can have a penis, hardly electable in the red wall. Well, I know, I know, I know. But despite that, Dan, just bear this in mind. The hard left have been expunged. You know, they're calling for tax cuts. 
They're saying business needs more help. The Labour Party under Starmer isn't scary. Oh, yeah. I agree on the social issues. They're miles away from where the middle of the country is. But a Labour Party that isn't scary, after a long period of conservative rule, I'm thinking 1997 in my head, you know, Blair didn't scare people. You know, the middle classes weren't scared of massive tax hikes. In fact, probably we should be more scared of Rishi Sunak's tax hikes <laughs> than we should be of Labour's. So, so things are changing in British politics. And, and, and I, I think we should pay credit to Starmer, despite the nonsenses, pay credit to Starmer. He's got rid of the hard left. They've gone. They're not there. They're not visible. They're not voluble. Um, can they? Can they grip this issue? It's going to be fascinating to see. It really see, is. Do, do you not consider Rayner on the hard left of the Labour Party? Because I do, and I'm scared of her, if I'm honest. I'm scared of her being anywhere near power. Um, yes, uh, yes. But, you know, I, I must admit, I've, what I've met her personally, I found her extremely aggressive. Um, but, but, you know what? Um, truth is... It's Rachel Reeves that will matter. Um, it's Keir Starmer that will matter. Rayner will matter far, far less. Now, you know, I didn't think particularly the Reeves performance in response to the spring statement was that good. But you know what? A lot of commentators did. And even Tory supporting newspapers weren't that vicious in terms of their, in terms of their attack on what she was saying. Because, you know, even the conservative newspapers know that the tax burden under a conservative leadership has risen to the highest level since Clement Attlee was in office. They haven't lifted a finger to ease business regulation, which they could have done, you know, given that we're now living in Brexit Britain. Uh, so, so all these things suggest to me that, you know, even if short term, Boris Johnson's getting a bounce on Ukraine, because let's face it, he has been decisive on that, mm -hmm. much more decisive on that than he has been about almost anything else since he's been prime minister. And as I drive around the country, but the number of Ukrainian flags I see in little English villages, it's quite extraordinary. So that may help him in the short term. But at the end of the day, people will vote on the cost of living. They'll vote on whether their kids can get council houses. They'll vote on whether they can get GP appointments. In fact, many of the issues that made people vote Brexit are the same kind of issues they'll be thinking about at the next general election. And a massive influx of people illegally, and I insist on using that word, illegally coming into this country without permission, without documentation, all of that potentially puts the party in real trouble. And Patel, Patel is caught. I mean, she's probably the toughest Home Secretary in her own private thoughts on immigration of anybody. Um, maybe what she needs to do is to resign, stand up and resign on a point of principle and explain to the country that all the while we're part of the European Convention on Human Rights, there is literally nothing we can do. Nigel Farage, fascinating analysis there, and I think a stark warning to the Tory party. I really hope uh, Boris and Pretty take heed. Nigel, thank you so much. Of course, Nigel, back tomorrow night at 7 p.m. here on GB News. Darren Grimes is tonight's outsider. Another day, another Labour politician making a fool of themselves over basic biology.
You know what, this really upsets me because I think about a young person who's struggling at the moment, who's struggling with their identity. And when we're having a social media or a debate around whether someone's, what genitalia someone's got, I think it really debases the serious issues that people face. That was Angela Rayner, a touted future leader of the No Opposition Party, being asked if a woman can have a penis. Same pathetic type of response from Keir Starmer the day earlier, but the bar is now so embarrassingly low among the Labour cohort that nothing surprises me with them anymore. Maybe they're getting their inspiration, though, from the equally as warped NHS trusts who are now asking men whether they're pregnant before carrying out X-rays and MRI scans. One trust in Liverpool said it was now policy that all patients under 60 would be asked if they had a baby inside them, regardless of how they may identify their gender. So has the NHS become totally consumed by wokery? And with top politicians left squirming and dazed when asked if women can have penises, are we hurtling fast towards a society totally ravaged by identity politics? Hell. Well, Darren Grimes has been investigating this. He, he joins me now. Darren. What's going on? Well, I, it's incredible, isn't it? So Keir Starmer said it's not right to say only women have a cervix, right? I don't know about you, Dan, but I certainly don't have one. And then he was unable to say women only have penises. Now, of course, as you've just highlighted... Well, only men have penises. Only men have penises, yeah. Mm. And he wasn't able to say that. Asking that question, can a woman have a penis to Angela Rayner? Absolutely. You'd think that you were asking her about some quantum theory or something, right? It was just completely... Yeah. And I saw Emily Thornbury, another Labour frontbencher yeah. earlier today, also struggled to answer. So, Darren, that's the Labour Party. We, we know they're a mess. But, but this NHS side of things is actually more concerning, isn't it? Because it's impacting male patients. Yeah, it is. And I, I mean, I am really quite concerned about all of this because you get a lot of people saying, well, Darren, you know, or Dan, this is just Westminster nonsense, right? No one cares about this sort of thing. But actually, they should care about this sort of thing because it starts to have knock-on consequences, right? I mean, the complete and utter bureaucratic madness that suggests that the guidelines, the government actually remove the word female from these guidelines. So now hospitals are, as you just said, asking people, men having x-rays before it, they might have cancer, right? They might be in there to find out absolutely terrified that their life is going to be cut short by some form of cancer. Just picture that scene, right? And then you're asked the completely nonsensical, utterly bizarre question of whether or not you might be carrying a child. A, a biological impossibility, right? And we are denying fact and truth to those who need fact and truth the most because they're actually asking, they're putting their life in the NHS's hands. Well, yes, and Darren, I read the testimony of the wife of a man suffering quite seriously with cancer who said that he, he woke up uh, from his medical procedure very confused and actually found it deeply unsettling, the NHS asking him as a man uh, whether he was pregnant. So I guess you've got that impact on, on the patient's. But surely the biggest issue here, Darren, is that it's the NHS denying biological reality. And that should worry us all. Absolutely, yes. And truth and fact have gone completely out of the window. But 
I, th I think actually the, the Angela Rayner case, right, trying to copy President Biden's Supreme Court nominee in her response, which is basically saying I can't define a woman because she's not a biologist. Well, Dan, I'm not a lie detector, right? But I can tell that a politician who says they don't know who does and doesn't have a penis is telling their voters absolute fibs. And I think that that's this. It starts with the politicians and it starts to feed through to because they're lawmakers. Ultimately, let's not forget, it starts to feed through to healthcare providers. And actually, the patients are the ones that suffer. These people aren't fit to run a bath, never mind the nation. So I want to actually hear about the inequalities that are being created, not just in healthcare, but I don't know if you saw the story, Dan, about Emily Bridges, who a month ago was winning medals in a male category for cycling and is now eligible to compete in the female-only category. So you've got healthcare, you've got the politician madness, the lawmaking madness, and now you've got women being completely removed from a level playing field in sport. And you just sort of think, how the hell have we got here? Yeah, well, it's ripping how through society, isn't it? It's exactly. ripping through society and folk have to start standing up for women, but they also have to start standing up for biological reality. Darren Grimes, thank you so much. Dan Wooden here again. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of my podcast, Uncancelled. Did you like what you hear? Well, remember to subscribe, rate and review and join me for more newsmaking interviews, fiery debate and free speech on Dan Wooden tonight every Monday to Thursday from 9pm till 11pm on GB News.